Welcome to the Strength Rehab Podcast. Join your hosts, Raul Axmayer and Brandon Parker, as they discuss the latest information regarding the health and fitness industries. Topics include sports performance, physical rehab, and of course, general health. Remember, this is the podcast where science meets practice. So Lauren, tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do. I am a certified financial planner and a consultant with Student Loan Planner. At Student Loan Planner, we help young professionals, we really help everybody get their student loan situation figured out. So whether you have Parent PLUS loans, six-figure student loan debt from some sort of grad school, um, maybe even just like 50K of undergrad debt that's kind of grown over, over time. Because you started with 30 and it started to expand, expand, expand. Uh, we spend 60 minutes walking through your financial situation, helping you get a really clear understanding of what the best path is for you. Because one thing that we know is that financial advice is not one size fits all. It needs to be customized to what's going on in someone's life. So as we we're talking about off air is a lot of chiropractic students, they kind of just say like, you know what, I'm going to invest in myself and I'm going to take out $250,000 worth of tuition cost over the course of three years. And then they say, I'll figure it out once I'm making money. And, you know, as people are graduating, they get very scared because they're like, I don't even have a job yet. <laughs> and they have to start figuring out how they're going to pay this off. So I guess what would be the first step for somebody that's coming out of school and they have a tremendous amount of debt? I think the first thing you need to do is kind of take inventory of what your life looks like and what you want for yourself. So as a chiropractor, many desire to go into private practice. But we know that starting in private practice means, you know, building from the ground up. So income may be very low on the front end while you build that practice that you want. Um, and generally, when people are getting out of school, you're trying to get settled, you're entry level. Um, now that you have this additional degree, it's like, this is wonderful. But also, how am I going to, you know, get the experience and be able to prove my expertise so that I can charge more or earn more? And so the first thing I would say is to consider an income-driven repayment plan uh, as you walk through the, hmm, what do I need to do right now? Uh, and that's because the income-driven repayment plans are going to be tied to your income. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that's really confusing for people is that there's income-driven repayment, which is the name of the program, which some people refer to as IDR. But within that umbrella, there's three different options to choose from. And one of them is called an income-based repayment plan. So you're like, oh, I'm on income-based. And I'm like, no, you're not. You're actually on revised pay-as-you-earn, which is another one of the, the options. So income-driven is the big umbrella. And then underneath that, you choose income-based repayment. Uh, re re <laughs> now I'm mixing it up. Revised pay-as-you-earn or pay-as-you-earn. And they all work a little bit differently, even though they're tied to your income. So we'll break that down, I think, just in, in a moment. They don't necessarily make it easy for you, huh? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> so, you know, like what would be the, the different options that somebody can take when it comes to the income-driven repayment plan? And what would be the strengths and the weaknesses for that? So what's really cool about income-driven is, like I said, it's tied to your income. So if you get out, you have a really low income. Um, even the year before, you might have been in school the full full time. So you had no income that year, or maybe you just worked a little side hustle. Income was in insignificant. You can be on an income-driven plan, be in good standing on a payment plan, but your payment actually be zero. So how cool would it be to be your first year out of school? And the way that works is basically, let's say you finish school 
2022 is coming up. So you finish in 2022, but all of 2021, you've been in school. Um, so you didn't earn anything. Well, they're going to ask you for your 2021 tax return in 2022 to calculate your payment. So that's how you get the $0 payment to start out. But now you're making money in 2022. So now you have time to build that emergency fund. Maybe you wanted to start saving for a home down payment. Maybe, you know, you got some credit card debt you need to pay off. This is a great opportunity to, like I said, be in good standing for your loans, uh, but also be able to do some other things. And then, you know, you reevaluate each year. So every 12 months, they ask you for your income again and you re-up. The big important thing about the income-driven plans is that they're either 20 or 25 years. Um, and so you need to know is it worth it for me to go for, do this for the long road? Um, it may not be appropriate for everyone. If you have a small amount of student loan debt and your earnings are much higher than what you owe, that's a pretty good indication that the income-driven plans may not be right for you and you should be looking at refinancing. But one of the things I see chiropractors do all the time is make the mistake of saying, like, I'm going to be wildly successful. I can't stand these federal interest rates because they are much higher than private interest rates. And they go off and they refinance. And now they're stuck with a payment, same payment every month, which is nice. But also their income is fluctuating all over the place. And that payment is not really affordable all the time. Uh, so you don't want to jump off the refinancing ledge too soon. You want to be sure that it's appropriate for you. I'm assuming that the con or the quote unquote bad part of that income driven repayment, for example, the zero payment per month would be that the interest keeps accumulating, right? That would be like a downside to it. That is accurate. So with the income driven repayment plan, like I said, the, your goal, if you decide to get on one would be to, you know, do that for the long haul, 20 or 25 years, whatever is left over at the end of that 20 or 25 years would be forgiven. Um, and so that's where people are like, oh, that sounds cool. But wait a second. You also have to pay the tax liability yeah. related to that forgiveness. So we get you say, let's say so on average, chiropractors have about 250K of debt. Um, let's say we get to the end of it and your debt is actually 400K because you didn't earn very much throughout your career. So what that means is that you had a payment so low it was affordable for you, um, but you weren't even to cover the monthly interest that was accruing. So instead of, you know, finishing off with the 250 you borrowed, you end up with a number much higher. That really freaks people out sometimes. But you're not paying the full amount at that point. They're going to forgive the 400,000 in my example, and you're going to pay taxes as if you earned it. So now it's like, okay, well I'm probably going to pay, you know, 30, 40% of that, maybe 100k is now my tax liability. Um it's much easier to save up a little bit each month to have 100,000 25 years from now than it is to, you know, try to pay off 250K in a short period of time with, you know, not enough income to be able to do so. That's a, that's a great point. You know, I was thinking to myself, like, and yet that is a, like when you mentioned that when the, the everybody could, it's like, all right, I'm gonna do the 20 year plan. And then they see how the money is just accumulating, accumulating, accumulating. They almost want to jump ship. Uh, I do hear horror stories and mm -hmm. maybe it's not necessarily the 20 year plan, but I also the uh, loan forgiveness through public teaching and stuff, public service. Uh, do you know anything about that? Because I hear like some people like they're on it and then they think they're about to finish and then they call up and they're like, dude, you've never been on this to begin with. <laughs> so, so yes, there are lots of clickbaity articles out there about how horrible public service is. And I think it's really damaging. You know, yes, there have been problems with the program. But it's really damaging to write an article that doesn't really explain all the details of why people were not qualifying. 
So with public service loan forgiveness, which is, you know, seldom for, for chiropractors, those that decide to go into a hospital or the VA kind of system are sometimes eligible. But um, in general, I don't see too many chiropractors that are going for public service. But the way that it works is you have to have direct loans. Um, you have to work at a qualifying employer. So that's like a nonprofit or government agency. And you can know that for sure by filling out what we call, we call the employer certification form. So there's a form you fill out. Some people never take the time to fill the form out and they wait till the 10 years are up and then they find out that their job wasn't actually a nonprofit or, you know, they did, it might have been like some other type of nonprofit that doesn't qualify. So you want to know that on the front end. The third thing is that um, you are on one of these income driven plans that I just referred to. So you're paying based on your income. And then last but not least is that you make 120 qualifying payments. So 120 is the equivalent of 10 years, but you don't actually need to do it 10 years consecutively. So you're not committing to working at, you know, hospital XYZ for 10 years. But if you leave hospital XYZ, it's important to go find another hospital that is also public service so you can pick up where you left off. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. So the big problems that existed were that a lot of people didn't know the rules uh, related to it. But there's actually been really good news that came down the pipeline just a few weeks ago where they've expanded the definition of the rules because they realized that the rules weren't super clear on the front end. So, yes, they had a criteria, but they didn't make it really easy for everyone to know the criteria and to opt into the system. You know, they didn't send everybody a letter that says, hey, it looks like you work at a, a nonprofit. Maybe you should sign up. You know, and there's a lot of people who just didn't know when, when something's new you just everybody doesn't know about it um there's like this famous guy dave ramsey i met somebody the other day who had no idea who he was that was in the personal finance space it's like you assume that everyone knows but they don't and so i'm really glad that the government has decided to expand um the rules for a short period of time to make sure that a lot of people who previously you know overall should have qualified but didn't what what is your thoughts on dave ramsey Oh boy. I brought in a name that I probably shouldn't have, but shame on me. Um, I actually, I was at a conference yesterday and they had a Dave Ramsey support group, which was basically a Dave Ramsey is ruining people's lives group. Oh my God. <laughs> um, I found it very interesting. So, so for me, I'll stick to the student loan aspect of what doesn't jive with me. And is that his information, like I said, is one size fits all. Everybody needs to do this. And, you know, he is very debt averse. So it's like, don't have any debt whatsoever. And so if you're one of those callers, you call in, you got 50K of income and 250K of debt, you owe five times what you earn. And you know what Dave's going to tell you to do? Pay it off anyway. Eat beans and rice. Move in with your mom. And I'm like, no, absolutely not. Save for retirement. Um, do the things that you can and get on the income-driven plan. He doesn't know how those things work. And it's really damaging for people who listen to a message like that because they feel hopeless and they get debt fatigue trying to do what he said. I also think it's funny that he says that every every debt is bad debt. And I read somewhere, I don't remember, that he was like, broke and he took a like a loan so he got into that to start his business so like so you're successful due to taking out a loan so you got into debt and now you're successful and you're saying that quote unquote every debt except the home debts are bad like i, I kind of don't understand that dude <laughs> yeah he's he's incredibly tone deaf and it yeah it doesn't speak to someone who's yeah. been through a lot you know there are people of all income levels in this country in this world um, that have faced all kinds of adversity and it's just not super duper easy to be debt free um yeah 
So now let's say that someone has like a fairly high income and they don't have a lot of debt. What would be the fastest way for them to pay off their loans? All right. So let's talk about the chiropractor that's doing awesome. They built a cool practice. They they managed to only borrow maybe 150K. They're making around 300K a year. This is like, woohoo, you owe 50% of what you earn. Like you, you make twice as much. Um, you're definitely a really good candidate to be able to pay your loans back, pay them back aggressively. And the suggestion for that is to refinance your loans. So generally it's a one-to-one -one ratio. I don't want you to think that you have to earn double what you owe. But so same scenario, if you make 150 and you earn one, I mean, if you owe 150 and make 150, um, it's going to be something you need to look at closely. There's some ways that you can lower your income kind of on paper and maybe make an income driven plan work, but it's more likely that it's going to be better to kind of buckle down, um, you know, beans and rice style, not, <laughs> but buckle down and be serious about, you know, getting your debt off your plate. Um, and so what you would do then is refinance. So like, as I mentioned, if you have federal loans, they come at really high interest rates. And so the reason people leave the federal system for a private company is because the interest rates are better. You cannot negotiate your interest rate with the federal system. That is a common misnomer. Um, and then the other aspect of that is that you can consolidate, which people mix these two terms together, consolidating and refinancing. They're not the same thing when we're talking about student loans. Consolidating is taking all of your federal loans and squishing them down into two loans. It'll say direct consolidated unsubsidized and direct consolidated subsidized when you get done, but they'll still be federal loans. You'll still have access to all the federal system and they'll take the weighted average interest rate um, for all your different loans. That is not refinancing. Like That's just keeping your loans federal and squishing them all together for simplicity purposes. Or maybe you had some old loans that didn't qualify for all the programs. Um, you know, that's another good reason to consolidate. Consolidating is one thing. Refinancing is another. Refinancing happens in a private system. And once you refinance, there's no going back. So you want to be mindful of some various things. So like I said, one, a, a lower interest rate is definitely great. Um, but two, what does your income look like? If it's, if it's highly fluctuating, then you might not want to pick a very short time frame to refinance. So refinancing terms can be five years, seven years, 10 years, 15 or 20. Mm -hmm. Um, and we generally recommend that you should be able to afford the 15, the 10 year repayment, um, before you refinance. It doesn't mean you have to pick the, the 10 year repayment. Um, but you should be able to afford it pretty easily when you're thinking about refinancing. So what that looks like, let's say 10 year repayment is a thousand bucks a month. Well, maybe you pick the 15 year and your payment drops down to 700 bucks a month. Your goal would be to still pay a thousand dollars, but now you have some flexibility and wiggle room should something happen in your life that you could drop down and pay the minimum um, a few months. Um, the other thing that I recommend when we're thinking about refinancing is refinancing on a regular basis. So that's one of the things that people don't know is a good thing to do in the student loan system because with refinancing a home, you know, there's a lot of costs related to it. So you don't want to be refinancing every other year with a mortgage. Um, it's like, oh yeah, I see a lower interest rate, but all the different origination fees and closing costs, et cetera, yeah. can really add up and diminish the amount that you're, you know, getting. With, re with student loan refinancing, if they say it's 4% and they move you to a 2%, that's real savings, definitely lower interest rate. You can go ahead and get it. Um, but you should also be, like I said, very aggressive about trying to pay the loans down in the meantime mm -hmm. so that every time you go to refinance, you know, you're looking better on paper to, to them as lenders. 
So I just want to make like I want to be clear here. So when it comes to the uh, like income repayment plans and stuff like that, and then it comes to uh, refinancing your loans or consol let's say consolidating your loans, if you were to consolidate all your federal loans, does that uh, kind of take you out of any uh, programs? Does it not allow you to do any of the programs, or is there anything in there that we should know about? So consolidating your federal loans will restart your clock. Um, so it's effectively like making a new loan within the federal system. Oh, okay. So the reason you might consider refinancing your loans, let's say you got out of school um, and there's a six month grace period. So six months that you don't have to pay your loans. Generally, that's really cool because that gives you six months to kind of get your life together and decide what you're doing, maybe find a job. But imagine you already have your job lined up and it's a public service job. Well, you want to get your credits as soon as possible. You don't want a six month grace period. You want to start making your 120 payments count immediately. Um, so what you, the reason someone might consolidate there is because consolidation will help you get to repayment faster. Once you've consolidated, it's a new loan. And now that consolidation process is over. So you may get four or five months of credit that you wouldn't have previously gotten uh, by consolidating. Reason number two that someone might consolidate is they have what we call FFEL loans. So before 2010, when you borrowed, you could either get direct loans or FFEL loans, and FFEL loans were pr more prevalent. Now, after 2010, only kind of loans they offer is direct. So if you ex borrowed exclusively after that date, you don't even have to worry about this. Um, but FFEL loans are only going to qualify for income-based repayment. They're not going to qualify for revised pay-as-you-earn and pay-as-you-earn, uh, which are the two other payment plans under the income-driven options. So if you want to have access to all the options, you might want to consolidate. But what you want to be mindful of before you do that is if I've been paying 10 years on an income-based repayment plan with these FFEL loans, um, by consolidating, that 10 years goes away and I'm effectively making a new loan and I'm starting all over mm -hmm. for another 20 or 25 years, depending on what program you're eligible for. So you, you have to kind of weigh, is it worth it? You know, and it may be, maybe you have in, um, public service available to you now and you didn't before. Um, FFEL loans don't qualify for public service. So you need to, you know, decide, uh, maybe I do need to do this because it's going to be overall more advantageous, even though you might be kicking yourself for, oh, I should have consolidated sooner. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, I always ask myself this question and I just never really know the answer. So let's say like I go to repay my loans, right? And you have the option of directly just gonna like paying off the principal or do you pay off the interest, right? Like, does that matter or what should we try to knock off? I know with Dave Ramsey, I think he does the debt snowball mm -hmm. where like you're going to go for the smallest loan, try to pay off the principal and then so on and so forth. I'm just curious, is there any uh, advantages to paying off a certain thing quicker or whatnot? Yes, it does make sense. And, I, you know, we got this question quite a bit during COVID because some people knew that they needed to refinance their loans, but they weren't quite ready. And of course, COVID gave everybody 0% interest. So they're like, oh, this is a great time to be knocking down my loans, but they all say 0%. I don't know which one to tackle. Well, you can call into your servicer and find out what your interest rate is if you you know didn't previously know it. Generally, it's listed, you know, COVID notwithstanding. But it, it does make a lot of sense to do the one with the highest interest rate first. Um, but the thing that happens there is you if you want to tackle one loan, you're going to have to pay down all the interest of that one loan, and then you'll start tapping into the principal. Gotcha. Um, so that is something to be mindful of is that they will require you to pay the interest off before you pay the principal on that loan. But you can apply your extra payment toward just one loan so that you can get the interest taken care of and then get the principal so that by the loans, you know, by the time 
um, the regular interest rate kicks back in, you're, you know, much more paid down on that one. But ultimately, if you've been paying them during COVID, it's because you know that you need to refinance. And so soon, sooner or later, you're going to refinance, get that better interest rate anyway. Mm-hmm. I, I am curious. So, you know, you're dealing with a lot of people that are kind of confused about the debt they have and, you know, they don't really don't know what to do. So, what are some of the things that you notice? Is there like a common trait or a common problem that these kids come to you with saying like, hey, I don't know how to do X, Y, Z? Yeah. So I would say that the biggest thing is like just to navigate the income driven plans. So, you know, we, we've alluded to it a few times, but I didn't talk about them very much. So let's go through them. Mm-hmm. The first one is revised pay as you earn. It is based on you paying over a period of 25 years. Um, it is 10% of your discretionary income. So people get confused about what that is. That's actually a formula that the the government's using. It's not like what you say you have left over discretionary wise. Um, And then after that 20, 25 years, you get the forgiveness, but you can't do Mary filing separately on that one. So another important aspect is that your spouse's income will be taken into consideration for student loan purposes, which can make your payment higher. Mm -hmm. So if you have a spouse that has no student loans and you do, you know, much more strategy is necessary to figure out which of these payment plans is right for you. Um, maybe you're single and, um, you know, like I said, you're going to start earning really well. You have a good setup. Like I'm okay for three years, I'm going to be at this lower paying job. And then I'm going to something that's going to triple X my income. Well, for those three years, you might want to be on revised pay as you earn because it's a really low, um, payment option. And the other benefit to revised pay as you earn is they offer what we call interest subsidy. So let's say again, to make the numbers around your payment or your interest would accrue over the course of a year is $12,000. Um, and you end up paying, you know, what is it, what, whatever the equivalent of a thousand dollars a year is just to make it round. Um, so now, you know, at the end of the year, $11,000 of interest has accrued, that's going to pile up on your loan. So that's exactly what we were talking about and how you have so much left over at the end. Well, what's cool about revised pay as you earn is that the government takes half of that interest and they, you know, offload it on, they say, we'll, we'll cover half and you have the other half. So in this scenario I'm talking about where someone knows that their income's getting ready to go up, this also this happens very frequently with physicians. You know, they're in residency for four years. They don't make a whole lot. They use revised pay as you earn um, to, you know, have an affordable payment plan and not have so much interest accruing. And then they go get their big fancy attending job and they refinance their loan. So it's a good strategy to be able to use that plan. Mm-hmm. Second plan is called pay as you earn. It is calculated the same way as revised pay as you earn. So 10% of discretionary income. However, it is 20 year plan. So if you pay for 25 years versus paying for that's five years of repayment, that's way less money you're going to be spending, right? Um, so you're like, oh, why wouldn't everybody get on that plan? Well, the thing with pay as you earn is that you had to borrow exclusively after October 1st of 2007 to be eligible for that plan. So that creates a whole nother level of like, you know, did I borrow before or after? And then remember what I told you previously, um, before 2010, there was FFEL and there was direct. Well, to be on pay as you earn, you need all direct loans, but you could have borrowed after October 1st of 2007, had some FFEL loans and some direct loans. <laughs> you see, it just gets more and more convoluted to figure out like there's there's lots of different things and strategies to do, but you've got to be able to work through, you know, which of these plans is the right one for me. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing that's cool about the pay as you earn plan is it does allow you to do the Mary filing separately. Um, so that could be really great if you have a, a high earning spouse and you're going for public service loan forgiveness, you don't want their income ratcheting your payment up. Or even if you're going for the long-term forgiveness, you might do Mary filing separately for the whole 20 years. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And then the last one is that income base repayment. And that one is 15% of your income. So it's going to be a higher monthly payment than the first two I just mentioned. And generally people are going to use that because they have the FFEL loan. So you can be on the income based, um, but you may maybe don't want to use the repay plan because you're married, because that's going to make both people's income taken into consideration. And then you did borrow before October 1st of 2007. So you're not even eligible for the pay as you earn. So that might be a reason you get on income based repayment and do Mary filing separately. So <laughs> you can see people come and they're just like, oh, my goodness, there's so many things to know. I am so confused. And a lot of people hear about Mary filing separately, which is not, like I said, a one size fits all thing. So they're, they're calling us for that as well. So just so I understand correctly, uh, <laughs> when, it, when it comes to the 20 year plan and at the end of the 20 years, you're going to pay, pay a, a percentage of whatever you accrued over that 20 years. So far, so good? Yep. Okay. Um, could you switch in between the three separate uh, types of income driven re uh, repayment plans and not reset that 20 year clock? Yes. Yes, you okay. can. However, you will have your interest capitalized. Okay. So you want to be really careful and be strategic about, you know, finding the right plan, trying to stick to it. If you need to switch, it's not the end of the world, but understand that let's say you get seven years down the road and you've been paying a hundred bucks a month. And like I said, $12,000 a year has been accruing, you know, we've got a good hefty stack of, of interest that's piled up in a separate bucket. Mm -hmm. What happens is that interest now dumps into your principal bucket and now you're paying interest effectively on your interest. Because you, they're calculating your interest payment based on the principal balance. And so what we call that is interest capitalization. The interest is, is piling up, but it's in a separate bucket the whole time. You're only paying interest on that principal balance, but that interest can jump into your principal bucket. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> it seems like if you make any hasty decisions, it can really uh, bite you in the butt. Definitely. One of the worst um, student loan calls I had to do was a young lady that went out to brunch with her friends and her friend was like, "Ooh, I refinanced. My interest rate is so low. It's so wonderful. You know, I have this referral link and she used the referral link to get the same rate. Um, and then she called us about, you know, maybe two months later and, uh, you know, was like trying to figure out like she couldn't afford the payments. And she was like, I got to figure out a, a new payment plan. Well, there's no payment plans with private loans. And come to find out, she was at a job that qualified for public service loan forgiveness. Oh, man. So now she had private loans. There's no turning back. And, yeah, off of the recommendation of a friend, she, you know, the friend didn't, didn't meant well, but didn't know that person's particular situation, which is why mm -hmm. I always like to drive home. It's not one size fits all. Mm -hmm. Now we have, you know, we have younger chiropractic students that are just either starting the program or they're like only a couple months into the program. And I always like to give them advice, but once again, this is not my forte. What are some things that you would like to give to these young kids prior to them taking out $250,000 worth of debt prior, you know, cause it's going to accrue over the three years that they're going to school. Is there any tips or uh, tricks that you would suggest to them? Yeah. So my, my first thing would be to really look at how much you need to borrow. Um, because a lot of times we over borrow, you know, it's like unlimited, like, woohoo, there's lots of money here. Um, but you realize you do have to pay it back in some sort, form or fashion, even if you're choosing one of these income driven plans. So don't be frivolous with the amount that you take. Um, and then the second thing would be not to take private loans, to take those federal loans from the very beginning. That way you have the flexibility to take yourself private, but you don't get locked into only having one, re one way to repay when you get out by having chose private loans. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, the other thing I would say is to be doing a lot of research on, well, first to, to be doing some soul searching on what you want. Do you want to be in private practice? Do you want to leave where you currently are and move back to your hometown? Do you want to move to a big city like a California where the cost of living is really high? Um, and get a really good understanding of what it's going to take to earn in that area. Because sometimes I think people are disenchanted when they find out, you know, their their actual earnings are going to be around 60 or 70K and there's not a lot of room for growth. And now they have this 250K of debt. They looked at some, you know, some chiropractor they looked up to that had a great practice that was going wonderfully. Well, there's marketing related to that. Um, you know, there's the the building fees, there's the staff fees, there's there's a lot that goes into running a practice, and not everyone is cut out for it. So don't look at this this just the success story, but really look at like, what do you want to do and start setting yourself up mindset wise and education wise to be ready for that. Because otherwise, you've taken out a lot of debt, and then you're you're really angry about it when your earnings don't match up to what you borrow. You really just hit the nail on the head there. <laughs> There's a lot of people coming into the school thinking that they're going to replicate whoever they used to see do it on the streets. And as you said, it's, most people aren't cut out for it. You know, to have a business mindset is a very unique trait to have. And the, 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 the sad side of the story is you need to understand how much you're realistically going to make. And if you do make that much money where you can kind of replicate your mentor, great, but you got to stay realistic when you're borrowing other people's money. <laughs> yes. Yeah. We've done quite a bit with chiropractors. So I've gotten to hear the stories and yeah, I know that I know the pain points. <laughs> now, I guess the last thing that I would say is uh, so before we wrap this up is you've been a wealth of information and I really do appreciate your time and effort here. And if somebody were to want to get more guidance from either you or the company that you represent, how would they get a hold of you? Yes. So one thing I love about where I work is that we do a lot of free resources. So the website is studentloanplanner.com. Um, a lot of people are just like, I don't know. I got to get to know these people. Like Lauren is a wealth of information today, but let me, let me learn a little bit more. We have a ton of information on the website. So blogs, we have a podcast as well that you can listen to, hear other people's stories um, so that you can, like I said, further educate yourself because some people are do do it yourselfers Mm -hmm. and you definitely can do your student loan plan on your own. However, it is going to require the investment of time. So the same way I can kind of, you know, do a quick turn here and there and crack my back. And I'm like, okay, I don't want to see a chiropractor. (laughs) Um, You know, that only goes so far uh, before I need to invest some time into, you know, either becoming one, which I still can't crack myself, um, or going to see a professional. And so at Student Loan Planner, like I said, we help you in 60 minutes, uh, walk through your student loan plan. You you send us a form uh, in advance. You send us your TXT file, which comes from studentaid.gov. That way we have your actual details and we help you get really, really clear on your plan. So um, I love it because there's also a weekly newsletter and, you know, I'm always like the dreaded person, like don't sign me up for another list, but people love ours because we were staying up to date on the latest stuff that's happening in the student loan world. And we're really trying to provide value. You know, here's the five latest blogs we added that might be relevant to you. Um, here's what just happened in Congress. Uh, here's the new, you know, COVID rules, etc. So if it's hard for you to keep up with all the different things going on, then you have a really good place to be able to get more information. <laughs> 